Well, good morning, church. Uh, excited to see you. Excited to open up uh, the Word together and be able to worship uh, with one another this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's probably one in the pew back right in front of you. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, uh, you're not only welcome to use that Bible this morning, but you're also invited to take that Bible with you as a gift uh, from us. I've heard people ask in my time here, why don't we put the verses on the screen? And the reason why we don't is because we want you to have a Bible in your hand. Uh, we want you looking at the Word, reading the Word. We want you going through, looking at what's there. Once again, it's not Danny preaching this morning. I'm not trying to be the center of attention. Everything you hear is coming from the Bible. So we'd love for you to open up the Word with us. And uh, we'll spend some time together hearing from Jesus this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one right in front of you. And you can open it to John chapter number 8. Listen, I'm very thankful for our worship team last weekend, Richie Kimbrew and, and team leading us while, uh, while Evan, Brother Evan, was preaching. Very thankful uh, for them being able to fill in. We got to get away for a little bit and spend some time with family, which was a, a great time for us. But it's certainly always great to know that uh, we're in good hands here, whether it's me or other staff members who are leading, other members of our church that are leading. We are blessed by God with the people that he's placed in leadership. Listen, I might be a little biased, but... I believe we have the best staff in the state of Mississippi. Anybody agree uh, with me? All right, guys, there were about 10. Oh, there we go. Okay. That's 8 a.m. There was only about five. Um, I mean, there wasn't many more than five here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, out of the, you know, 100 or whatever that was here, five of them were appreciative of you guys. So anyway, uh, much better response from our 1030 uh, crew this morning. Uh, listen, last weekend we, we went down to southeast uh, Louisiana, stayed with my dad, uh, spent some time hanging out with some family. And while I was there, I, I had a thought that pertained uh, to the context, the, the scripture that we're going to read this morning in John chapter 8. You probably don't know a whole lot about my dad. You don't get to see him uh, very often, but my dad is a huge antique collector. Uh, now, if you were to ask me, Danny, what, uh, what category of things does, uh, does your dad collect? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea if you can put what he collects in a category. If I could, here's what I would tell you. The category is anything that is breakable. That is what my dad loves to collect. And so if it can be broken easily, you can probably sell it to my father. So just know that, pl plug that away in the back of your mind. But my dad's a huge antique collector. Now, when I say huge, I want to to record, uh, make a video around his house, although he probably wouldn't have appreciated that too much, which is why I didn't. But anyway, I wanted to make a video of the inside of his house because when I say he's an antique collector, some of you might collect some trinkets or you might have some glass items that you like. I mean, my dad is an antique collector. You name it and he's got it. And so when you walk into my dad's house, I'm talking about front door, foyer, wall to wall. You get in the living room, wall to wall. You walk in the kitchen, Actually, that's probably the only place that you don't really find very much. But dining room, you can't even use his dining room table because there's antiques everywhere. He's got a den, another living room. You can't go in the living room, uh, the other living room, because there's so many collectibles. You can barely walk down the hallway where the bedrooms are uh, because he's got things all over the walls. And he's only got one guest bedroom, even though he's got three bedrooms in his house, because one of them is used to store antique collectibles. Like my dad has all uh, sorts of antiques. Now, the most dangerous spot in his house is probably his living room. 
Now, many of you probably when you go, you travel and see family or whatever, you stay with your family. It's cheaper. You get to spend more time together. We do that same thing. And so for my dad's house, because there's only one guest room, his living room doubles as the other guest room. And so when you look at his living room, not only are there antique collectibles all along the walls, but there's actually cabinets in front of the cabinets that are around the walls that have antique collectibles in them. So it's like two rows deep. You can't even see what's in the cabinets behind the cabinets that are in the front. But anyway, most dangerous room, probably his living room. That's where me and Josiah end up sleeping when we go to my dad's house. Now, my dad asked a question that looking back now, I thought was a little dumb at first, but it was a really good question. He asked if, if I wanted him to leave a light on somewhere so that when we go to sleep, if we need to get up for any reason, we could see. Now, most of you are probably like me, and when you go to sleep, you like it really dark in the room. Anybody agree? Yeah, I want like no sunlight coming in uh, from anywhere, no lights on. I want it dark. And so I've been to my dad's house plenty of times. So I was like, Dad, you know what? No, we don't need a light. Like, we'll be fine. Probably won't have to get up. Like, won't really matter or whatever, you know. But listen to me. Boy, was I wrong, all right? The very first night, I had to get up in the middle of the night. I couldn't see anything. I can't tell you the noises I heard, the things that were bumping into each other, the, the items that sounded like they were breaking. As a matter of fact, Dad, if you're watching right now, there may be something somewhere hidden that possibly got broken. Anyway, it's just, it's just everywhere, right? Now listen, this is a simple, practical, you know this as well as I do, but when it's dark, even in a familiar place, when it's dark, it's hard to see, right? Like those things go hand in hand. You'll bump your toe. You'll knock something over. You'll, you don't know what's there. It's dark. Now, if it's an unfamiliar place, that intensifies it even more. If you've got thousands of antique collectibles, you hear things breaking in the background, right? Like that's what happens when it's dark. You can't see. Now listen, I'm just talking about a room in my dad's house. I'm just talking about places that may or may not be familiar or more familiar to us. But think about life. If we would bump into that many things in the dark in our own rooms that we know about, how much more could we compare that to the things that we bump into in the chaos that we call life? When we can't see, when we're not sure what's next, whenever you fill in the blank. We knock things over. We stub our toe. We bump. We break. As a matter of fact, some of you are thinking, you know what, Danny? I broke some things just this morning. When I think about life this past week, I left a trail of mess behind me. Like when, when we can't see, there are issues in front of us. We tend to bump into things. We tend to break things. So how do we see Danny, if this happens in a room that we're familiar with, and now we're comparing it to the chaos of life, what are we ever going to do? How are we going to see? How are we going to walk? How are we going to navigate the darkness of life? Well, friend, I'm glad you asked me that question this morning, because here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. Look at it with me. Hopefully you've got that Bible open. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God, this morning, will you bless your word as we study through this portion of scripture in John chapter eight, will you bring to light, Father, all that you want us to know, all that you want us to hear, all that you want us to understand, will you bring to light what you want to do in us as we study your truth, as we study your word, as we invite you 
to move and work in our lives. Right now, God, this time is yours. We ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now you understand the comparison to the darkness, right? Like how much easier in my dad's house when I'm breaking all the antique collectibles would it have been to have a light on? How much more practical is life when we can see what's ahead of us, when we can see what was once dark, when we can see what's around us? How much better is it when there is light versus when there is darkness? And here is Jesus making the comparison, hey friends, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In other words, you will see, you will know what's there. You don't have to stub your toe, knock things over, break things, make a mess of stuff. No, you don't have have to walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what? Jesus has given us big picture here, bottom line kind of moment. Listen to this. We need Jesus, the light of this world, to help us navigate through life, period, right? We need Jesus. We could end that statement right there. That's what he's communicating to these crowds. Now, listen, they don't believe it, most of them are going to argue with him. They're going to go through several different points of discussion as we continue reading this morning. But here's the truth. Jesus is what they needed. Jesus is what I need, what you need, what we need, what our world needs so that we can navigate through life. Now here in verse 12, Jesus makes what's known as the second I am statement in the gospel of John. In case you're unaware, there are seven of these that Jesus will make throughout this gospel that John records. I am is a statement that goes back to the time, the conversation that Moses has with God in Exodus chapter three. Now this is the second time Jesus has used the comparison because back in John six, he said, I am the bread of life. Now he's saying, I am the light of the world. Well, why is this I am statement so significant? Well, when Jesus uses this phrase, he's claiming his deity as the son of God. He's claiming, as he's already said in the gospel of John, that he and the father are one. As the Jewish people are thinking back to the conversation that Moses had with God, when Moses looks at God in their conversation and says, okay, God, you want me to go to Egypt? You want me to proclaim that your people should be set free after years and years and years of slavery in Egypt? You want me to talk to Pharaoh? You want me to talk to the Hebrews? God, who am I? Who am I to say anything? As a matter of fact, if I actually go, God, who do I tell them has sent me? And do you remember what God said? He said, you tell them I am that I am. In other words, God said, you tell them I am has sent you. What was God saying? He's saying, I have been, I am, I will be, I always will be, right? He's talking about the eternal state that is God. He's saying, I'm greater, I'm better, I'm the creator of the universe, I am God, I'm the one who is sending you. And when Jesus makes this I am statement multiple times in the Gospel of John, here's what John is communicating to all of his readers, especially from a Jewish context. He's saying Jesus is God. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, it's God speaking to his people saying, here I am. Jesus, the perfect representation of God. How can we know God? Jesus. What does Jesus show us? God. What are they? One. He's saying, I am. 
the one you've been looking for, the one you've awaited. I am the Messiah. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, what's so interesting about the context of this discussion that Jesus is having in John chapter 8 is because it picks up right at the end of John chapter 7. Now, I know that sounds like, duh, Danny, 8 follows 7, but there's a lot of stuff that happens between John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, verse 12. As a matter of fact, Brother Evan preached on it last week with a woman who was caught in the middle of adultery. Most scholars believe that the context in which Jesus is teaching in the temple in John chapter 8, verse 12, is directly following the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus was talking to the crowds in the temple in John chapter 7. And so the use of the word again, when it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, keeps it in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I know you don't think that matters, but I'm going to help you see why it matters. Jesus used some of their rituals during the Feast of Tabernacles to point the Jews to himself. If you remember this from John chapter 7, there's a moment during the Feast of the Tabernacles, actually it happens every day during the seven-day feast, where the priest will take a little water uh, pitcher, he will walk out to one of their pools, he'll fill it up, he'll come back to the temple, and he'll pour it on the altar. And as he does it, the people of God are praising him and worshiping him through certain things that they do during the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. But the water that's being poured was a symbol of thanking God for his provision for the water that they received while they, while they journeyed through the wilderness. It was also a way that they, th- they thanked God for the crops they just had, and they were thanking God for the crops they will have, that he's providing for them a life source. He's providing for them water. And if you remember in John chapter 7, Jesus looks at that water as the priest is pouring out the pitcher on the altar, and here's what he says to the people as they're watching. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus takes that moment in their typical worship ceremony and says, hey, that water is simply a type that's pointing to me. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm everything you need. Now watch this. Jesus in this moment, using the symbolism from the Feast of Tabernacles with the water, points people to himself. Now he uses more symbolism that's happening during the Feast of Tabernacles as he says, I am the light of the world. Now, according to the Mishnah, which is the the written record of Jewish oral tradition, the priests during the Feast of Tabernacles every night would place out four great lamp stands stands in the court of women uh, during the feast. Each evening at sundown, the the priest would bring out these huge uh, chandelier-like oil lamps, and different men would come up with ladders. They would climb up to the top of the chandeliers, and they would light the lamps. Now, the elaborate candelabras were used to remind the people of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, just a side note, all of this Feast of Tabernacles is in the realm of what happened during the days of Exodus. You remember the story. We've already talked about it a little bit. God's people, bondage in Egypt. He sends Moses 
plagues happen. The Pharaoh releases the people, but he changes his mind. And as they're leaving, he tries to capture them back. You remember all these moments, the parting of the Red Sea. They chased after him. The Red Sea swallowed them all up. And then there they are, the Israelites on dry land headed toward the promised land. Every day that they traveled, God would provide for them with a pillar of cloud. And as long as they followed that pillar, they went where God wanted them to go. We say, Danny, what'd they do at night? He sent a pillar of fire at night so they could see, so they would know, so that he would provide his protection for them. He provided water for them. That's the symbolism in the pouring of the water. He provided light for them so they could see. That's a part of the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. All of this is a representation of what was happening back in Exodus. So as they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, they're remembering what God had done for them back in Exodus, back in the Old Testament, back in the days of wandering around in the wilderness, even in their sin, even when they did what God didn't want, he still provided, he still came through. How many of you know that even when you are faithless, God is faithful, amen? And so that's what's happening. That's the picture, the scene of the feast of tabernacles. So Jesus playing off the water points to himself. Now imagine this scene, okay? It's the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Sundown has just approached. Jesus has been preaching with an authority like none of them have ever heard. They think he's going to get arrested and killed, but nobody comes and arrests him. Why not? This is weird. So many of them see what he's doing, and they're like, will the Christ do more than this? Maybe he is the Christ. And they're asking, who is this man named Jesus? And then they bring a woman to him and throw her at his feet and say she's been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus handles the issue like no one has ever believed before. And now the sun's going down, the candelabras are being lifted up, and the lamps have been lit. And Jesus looks at the lamps, and he says, hey, see how bright that is? See how powerful that light is? I, friends, am the light of the world. You know, according to the Mishnah, it was said that these candelabras were so bright that there was not a yard in Jerusalem that was not lit by these lamps. And Jesus, as they're shielding their eyes, because it's as if the power of the sun is coming up, goes, hey friends, as powerful as that is, I am beyond all of that. I am the light of the world. And it is on this backdrop as the Feast of Tabernacles is ending that Jesus proclaims to them, I am the one you've searched for. I am the one that you are looking for. I am the Messiah who will bring you the salvation that you have always wanted. What better comparison can Jesus make than those lamps as they're being raised up? Friends, listen to me. We need Jesus, the light of this world, to help us navigate through life. Can I tell you something? We're not at the Feast of Tabernacles. Can I tell you something? We're not raising up any candelabras. I haven't asked uh, Brother Evan to get up on a ladder and, la and, and light anything. Actually, we'd probably ask Brother Corey to do that anyway. So, but we're not, right? None of that's happening right now. 
But the same truth that Jesus proclaims in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but instead will have the light of life. That same truth is still being proclaimed by Jesus today. We don't have to walk in darkness. We can choose a better way. You say, Danny, what's the better way? Jesus is the better way. Notice he doesn't say, I am a light. No, he says, I am the light. As a matter of fact, this kind of moment has already happened in the first I am statement when he said, I am the bread of life. You probably remember this. He's with these crowds and he's talking about how they must feast on his flesh and drink his blood. And the crowds are like, what in the world is he talking about? And once he finishes, they all leave. They don't want to follow him anymore. And so Jesus looks at his original 12 that he called to follow him. And he says, hey, do you still want to be with me? Do you too want to leave? And do you remember what Peter said? Peter's like, Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friend, listen to me. He's not a light. He's not a way. He's the light. He's the way. He's the bread of life. There is no other option. Jesus is the only way for us to get out of the darkness of our sinfulness. John's proclaimed this all throughout his gospel. Back in John 1, he said, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in John chapter 1, he says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. The symbolism of light is used all throughout scripture. Listen to this from Habakkuk chapter 3. It says, his brightness, talking about God was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. The people would sing praises to God. In Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The word of God, the law, the instruction was described in Psalm 119 as a light to my path. Listen to this at the end of the Bible. You ready? This is beautiful. Revelation 21, listen to these words. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. You say, Daniel, what's he saying? Jesus will be our light. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It's not just that he is light, but that anyone who follows him will also no longer walk, no longer be in darkness. He is now claiming to be like the pillar of cloud by day. He is claiming to be like the pillar of fire by night. The same way those guided the Israelites in the wilderness is the same way in which Jesus guides those who are in the wilderness that we call life. We need Jesus to light our way. I love all the ways that light is described as a very characteristic of, John, of, of God. As a matter of fact, John, who wrote about Jesus being light in the gospel of John, John, who wrote about Jesus being light in Revelation, John would also write in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at 
all. In fact, you may not remember this, but light is the very first thing that God created back in Genesis chapter one. Here's what Jesus is helping them see as he begins this discussion with how obvious it is that they should follow him. Here's what he's doing. Listen, they could follow the, the Pharisees or the priests or the scribes or any other blind religious leaders and they would simply be walking in darkness. Listen, we could follow Confucius or Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad, but we would simply be walking in darkness. Or friends, hear me out, we could follow Jesus who, by the way, as the candelabras are being raised up, as they're shielding their eyes from the brightness of the light in the temple garden. Listen, we can follow Jesus, the light of the world. It's beautiful, is it not? You say, well, Danny, they all just started following him after that, didn't they? No. Unfortunately, in the context of light, in the context of him illuminating the darkness so that they could see, we learn what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world in the conversation he continues to have in John chapter eight. Let me show you a couple things really quickly. I'm gonna go fast, I promise. Number one, the light helps us see what was once unseen. Say, Danny, duh, that's what light does. Good, I hope that's how it stands out to you. We might stumble, bump our toe, even fall without light, or we can see because there is light. Jesus is helping the crowds to see what they're missing. He's been doing this over the last several chapters in the Gospel of John. He's speaking from the Spirit. They're looking from the flesh, and they can't understand what he's talking about. They keep missing it, but Jesus is trying over and over and over to shine light on what they do not know. It helps us see what was once unseen. In fact, the next chapter after he heals a blind man, listen to what Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. That's what he wants. Look at verse 13. Let me read a couple of verses to you. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're trying to punt the conversation to something else. So Jesus answered, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Listen, they don't see it. They keep missing what he's showing them. As the old proverb says, there are none so blind as those who will not see. It's not that they don't see it. It's that they refuse to see what Jesus Jesus is clearly showing them to see. It's like the sun. How many of us would look into the sky and deny that it exists? We would not because we see it. Jesus is saying, so it is with me. I've done work after work, miracle after miracle. I've taught in ways you've never seen. I've done things that no one else has ever done. You have clearly seen me be a representation of God. Yet even though you see, even though the light is shining, you still choose to reject. It's crazy. The old proverb, none so blind as those who will not see. So look at verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. There it is, right? They're still looking with the wrong eyes. 
He says, I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. There it is again, the deity, right? Me and God are one. And then he acknowledges their law. He says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He's already went down this road of what their law says about a witness. He does it back in John chapter 5. In fact, he doesn't just give two or three witnesses. He gives five witnesses witnesses about who he is and why it is true. This isn't his argument here. He already knows they continue to reject though they shall see. He's reminding them that the only way life can be different is if they look not according to the flesh, but if they will open their spiritual eyes to see what Jesus is trying to show them. Look at verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? It's kind of a jab at Jesus, by the way. Hey, we know Joseph hitting your dad. We know Mary had you out of wedlock. You don't even know who your dad is. We don't either, right? They're kind of jabbing at him. And then Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, I have shown you, I have shown you, I have shown you. He's saying the light helps us see what was once unseen, but they still choose to live and walk in darkness. They still choose to reject who Jesus is. He didn't come to judge them. He didn't come to bear witness in this moment. He came to save them. Remember what he said back in John three seventeen: For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what he's doing. He's shining light on what was once unseen. I'm the one. Look to me. But they don't. They continue to reject him. And I thought to myself, how often is Jesus trying to help us see, and yet we choose our own way over his? That's what light does. It helps us see. Jesus is the light of the world. Secondly, watch this. The light not only helps us see what is unseen, but it exposes what was once hidden. It exposes what was once hidden. Think of this moment not like a light switch being turned on. Think of this like a flashlight. I know there are so many places in this room right now that even though the light is on, I can't really see in some of these corners because there's some shadows, right? There's some things still casting some darkness over what's there. How true is that in our lives? This is the moment where Jesus says, as the light of the world, I'm like a flashlight. I want to inspect the deepest recesses of your soul, and I want to expose things that may be hidden. Friends, that's what the light of the world does. He shows us things that are unseen. He also exposes things that are hidden because our sin keeps them from God. He said to them again in verse 21, I am going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews confused, there's the not seeing again. Will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come. But he's not talking about that at all. He's talking about their rejection of him. And though they will reject him, they will still look for another Messiah. But can I tell you something, friends? There is no other Messiah. There is no other way. They will die in their sins because they reject the way that God has provided through Jesus. And so he said to them, watch this. Here's the exposure. You ready? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. 
You are of this world. I am not of this world. Now watch this. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is making a common comparison that all of us should know. Do you know what we all are? We are all born from below. We are all born of this world. Ever since Genesis chapter three, we are born with a sinful nature into a sinful world, corrupted and separated from God on our way to an eternity forever separated from him. What do we do, Danny? What's the only difference? What do we do once this is exposed? The hidden nature of our sinfulness is revealed. Unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. Listen, Jesus has already said this back in John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, can I just remind you of something? If it were not for God, darkness would still be reigning on this earth. If it were not for God, we would all still be in darkness. But instead, he shone light into the darkness of our sinful world. He sent Jesus to die in our place. So if we believe in him, everything can be changed. I wonder what Jesus is exposing in your life as you think about the deepest recesses of your own soul. He's like a flashlight that when turned on, when applied, reveals, exposes everything that is hidden. Let me show you this last one, last thing. The light certainly helps us see what is unseen, certainly exposes what is hidden, but it also brings understanding to what was once unknown. You ever heard that phrase, man, I just don't quite get it. Could you shed some light on it for me? You ever heard that before? Well, guess what? Jesus does that when it comes to the salvation of the world. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? How insulting must that be at this moment? All the things he's done, all the things he's taught, all the ways he's revealed himself, yet they say, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. In other words, I don't know how to answer your question any more than I have already answered your question. You know what this is like? This is like trying to describe a sunset to someone who was born blind. Words are just not adequate to describe what you're seeing. It's like trying to describe a symphony to someone born deaf. Sign language just isn't adequate to really reveal what's happening in that moment. Jesus is like, I don't have any other way to show you. If all that I've done is not testimony enough, what else could be done? And so he said, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. In other words, you may reject me, and there's nothing I can do about it, but I will still proclaim what is true. Now, they didn't understand, right? We're not surprised by that. Now, watch this, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, I came to, to cast the light so that you could see what is unseen. 
I came to expose the darkness and the hidden things that are found in man and religion and and these false religious leaders. I came to expose that in the hearts of every person. But even still, there will come a day where I will climb on a cross and I will die for the world. And when I am lifted up on that cross, when I am dying in the place of all sin, then the world will really know. In other words, there will finally be light cast on the situation. There will be understanding to what was once unknown. Listen, I'm not saying every person who knows that Jesus has died on a cross, every person who knows that Jesus has rose from the grave will place their faith in him. I'm not saying that at all, and I'm not saying that's what Jesus is saying. What I am saying is that he's telling us that the cross was purposed to reveal who Jesus is, that when he dies on the cross, when he rises from the grave, then the truth will be known to all who will hear. Jesus is, uh, John is not saying that all of Jesus' opponents will be converted in the wake of the cross. What he is saying is that if we are converted, it will be because of the cross. And for those who aren't converted, they will still one day, because of the cross, bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. You with me? There will come a day where the light will be cast and what was unknown will be revealed. We read in Sunday school, I got to just share this with you because I thought it was interesting. We were reading about Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And at the end of this encounter with Peter and Cornelius, there's a moment where Peter's proclaiming the gospel to Cornelius and his house. I want you to hear this. He says in verse 39 of Acts 10, he says, or verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And then verse 39, I love this. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, raised him up, right? And then God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now watch this. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know what I thought was fascinating? about that moment. Jesus is the light of the world, helping us to see what was once unseen, exposing what was once hidden, bringing understanding to what was once unknown. He's offering us a better way, a new way. He's bringing life into a world of death. He's bringing light into a world of darkness. Now listen, when he saves us, he also resurrects us. So that, guess what? We now become his witnesses to proclaim the truth of Jesus to the world. You know what that means? We now become beacons of this light to represent him to a lost and dying world. We now, because of his death, because of his resurrection, have now been empowered to proclaim him to the masses. Jesus in all things, as the light of the world, 
following the Lord's leadership, not being left, and neither shall we, always doing the things that are pleasing to him. He is bringing about salvation to the world, inviting us to be a part of the plan. And watch this, verse 30, last thing. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I love this moment as chapter eight ends. Well, this section anyway, sorry, not the complete chapter. I like how he drops off this point of conversation with the crowds, the religious leaders, those who are rejecting him, those who are thinking about killing him, those, all sorts of chaos happening in the temple. Jesus stands up as these candelabras are being lifted, water's being poured, I am the living water, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. He is comparing all of it back to himself, saying, I am what you need. And in all the chaos, right? All that's happening in the world, all the religious leaders who are rejecting, all the people who don't know what to do, all the crowds that are leaving, verse 30, listen, some believed. I like to think I'm in that little group, right? If I was there, that would be my shining moment, no pun intended. Well, what about you today, friend? Jesus has proclaimed a very bold and very accurate truth. We live in darkness and this world will continue that way. The pattern of this world is darkness. But we don't have to walk in it if we will give ourselves to the light of the world. If we will invite Jesus to live in us and to guide us like the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. To shine into the darkness like those candelabras that were lifted up like the sunrise itself. If we will choose Jesus, we no longer have to walk in darkness. Friends, in that moment, people believed what about you? In that moment, people rejected. Will you? In that moment, things were being exposed. Are they being exposed in your life? In that moment, Jesus was proclaiming truth and everyone there had to make a response to his claim. What about us today, friend? What is it that the light of the world is trying to show you and trying to show me? May we May we follow not in darkness, but in the light that is Jesus. Let me pray.